Hello everyone. My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to Zoom Sunday service at the river. We're so glad you could join us. Well, today is the first Sunday of 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. May it be much, much better than 2020 as the pandemic ends and we can resume our lives. I believe this year we'll be able to meet again in person. Isn't that going to be so great? I'm so happy just thinking about it. A new start. So we're starting a new sermon series called Understanding the Bible Through Jesus because the meaning of the Bible really depends on what lens we use to interpret it. If you are like the Pharisees, we'll focus on the rules. And even though they revered the Bible, they misunderstood the Bible so much that when God appeared to them, they killed the God incarnate. That's why we need to remember what Jesus said. He said, to see me is to see God. Jesus is the right lens to use when reading the Bible. Now there are many ways people have interpreted what it means to see Jesus. For our purposes, I'm going to propose that Jesus and the cross stand for agape love, the, uh, the divine, unconditional love of God. For God so agape loved the world unconditionally that God gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have life in all its fullness forever. This is the most beloved verse ever, isn't it? John 3.16 It clearly tells us that coming of Jesus was all about the unconditional agape love of God. Furthermore, Jesus said outright, everything in the Bible hangs on agape love. So, why not trust Jesus and look at the Bible through the lens of agape love? That's why we are going to go through all the major events in the Bible, chronologically, one by one, all the major characters in the Bible. It's going to be great. We're going to be surprised by how all those dusty old passages can come alive by taking a fresh look through the lens of agape love. We will emerge from this sermon series with greater clarity than ever before what the Bible is all about. Sounds good? I'm excited. Today, we begin with the story of creation and fall described in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. There are many things that can be said about the creation story, but it is striking to note just how often one single phrase is repeated. That is, it is good. God creates something, then God calls it good. For example, in Genesis chapter 1 through 4, chapter 1 verse 4, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that it was good. Every single thing God creates is followed by this same phrase, God saw that it was good. 
every single time. And the whole creation account concludes with this same sentence. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. <laughs> We get the idea, right? Everything that was created by God is very good. Now, the Hebrew word used for God saw is weyar, which means to see, to consider, to weigh. And the Hebrew word used for good is tov. It contains meanings like pleasing, delightful, acceptable, approved. In other words, God creates something, then God considers and weighs what God just created. And God proclaims it all to be very good, pleasing, beautiful, and approved. But then, we are introduced to the tree of knowledge of good and evil in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the Hebrew word ra, translated here as evil, Google it, and it says the following. It should be noted that the English word evil has no ancient Hebrew equivalent. While most English translations will use the word evil for ra, it is also often translated as bad. So, I will use the word bad rather than evil here, as the writers of the book of Genesis did not even have a word for evil at the time. So, tree of knowledge of good and bad, tov and ra. Clearly, ra is supposed to be opposite of tov, good and bad. And the question arises, if everything in creation is good, it's very tov, what is bad? Right? Why is there this tree in the first place? Because if everything is good, what is there to be called bad? Who calls it bad? Not God. God has declared everything good already. But we have a tree of knowledge of good and bad at the center of all creation here. And Adam and Eve representing humanity uses the tree and dares to call bad some parts of creation that God has already called good. This goes directly against God. The first instance of exercising this judgment between Tov and Ra is against themselves. What happens? They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before, they were happy with who they were. Naked, transparent, no problem whatsoever. All tov. All good. But now, they feel compelled to cover up their naked selves. They are not all tov anymore. Not as they are. Not entirely pleasing, delightful, acceptable. At least in their own eyes. They need to cover up parts of themselves that seem inadequate, that seem not tov, but wrong. 
then they hide from God. That's the second thing that happens. God is no longer Tov. God is scary, unsafe, not Tov. Then finally, humanity judges other humans. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some from, from, fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Adam, which means man, he says, it's the woman's fault. And who put her here? It's you, God. That's not all Tov. Do you see what's happening here? Other humans are bad. God is bad. I am bad. This is the work of the tree of knowledge of good and bad, Tov and Ra. So now, ourselves, our world, our God, other humans, it's not all good. Do you see? Humanity has dared to call bad what God has called good. That is the original sin. To call bad what God has called good. Isn't that interesting? I know there are other interpretations of this passage. For example, the most common understanding of this passage is like an object lesson in kindergarten. Adam and Eve got caught with their hands in the cookie jar. They ate this apple they were not supposed to eat. Bad Eve. They need to be punished. So the lesson is, don't do what you are not supposed to do, or you'll be punished by God and sent to hell. But is that really what this passage is about? If so, why is the root of all sin called knowledge of good and evil? If the objective is to avoid bad behavior, shouldn't knowing what is good and bad be actually helpful? Isn't that the very first step towards the solution? Indeed, most churches are all about teaching people what is good and what is bad so we can tell the difference. But then why is that described as the root of all evil that brings hell on earth by the Bible? I'm afraid we've been taking the wrong lesson from this passage. We're not two-year-olds anymore, are we? Do we really need to be told, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat? Didn't we already learn all that in the kindergarten? Do we really need faith to know such basic things? We should not so disrespect the Bible. As if the Bible was appropriate for kindergarten. The Bible is divinely inspired. Is not to be taken so lightly. It's not kindergarten stuff. The lesson here is to not call bad what God has called good. Don't sit in the seat of judgment, for God alone should be the judge. More on this in my next sermon. But for today, this lesson gets repeated in one of the most important passages in the New Testament, when the people of God was considering whether to include the unrighteous Gentiles into the church unconditionally. This is the moment when the church was confused about its purpose, whether it was supposed to be all about teaching people good and evil and enforcing boundaries about who's in and who's out, 
Or was the church supposed to be all about agape love and inclusion? God tells Apostle Peter, Do not call unclean what God has created clean. This is the decisive moment when God tells the church to include the unclean, unrighteous sinners as they are, rather than insisting that everyone follow the rules of the Bible to get clean first. Does not this have relevance in today's world when the church is known first and foremost for being judgmental and excluding people, people like LGBTQ community, people that the church considers unclean and treats like second-class citizens, even as they say that we welcome people and in our own place treat them as if they are second class. That is not right. That is not following what God has clearly instructed us to do. God has called you and the whole world accepted, beloved, and welcomed by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Not by our effort, but by Jesus, by God's agape love, so that our unclean, our cleanness can never be taken away. That is the message of the cross. I know it is hard to believe because the world seems so unclean, so unacceptable, and we find in ourselves so many flaws. But this is the gospel of the cross. Believe in this message. God calls you Tov. Believe in the gospel and your faith will save you unto eternal life. Amen. Now, of course, bad behavior is bad. There are bad practical consequences to every bad choice we make. But failing does not make us failures. We cannot lose our standing and worth before God as the beloved, for that is based on the cross. So much hurt and damage happens in this world because we don't get this straight. I have a relative in Korea who was very smart as a boy. The whole family was very smart. Everyone in that family graduated from the best university in Korea. Unfortunately, this boy failed to get into that best university. In Korea, there is one day out of the whole year in November when the entire class of high school seniors, a million kids, take the Korean version of SAT. It happens just once a year. And this score decides which university you get into. You have to say which university you are applying to before you take the test. And if your score is not good enough, then you won't get into any university. You will have to study another whole year to apply again. And hopefully this time you apply to an easy enough university that you can get in. What a stressful setup, don't you think? To escape this test was a major reason why I ended up living in the United States. <laughs> so anyway, my relative, he failed to get in on the first try. So he had to study another whole year in shame, in anxiety, in fear of failing again. 
And the second time he tried, he applied to the second best university to make it a little bit easier on himself, and he got in. He ended up becoming a doctor. But that failure to get into the best university on his first try, it left a stigma of failure in his psyche. His family felt like he brought shame to the family. The tension it created, the feelings of shame and hurt and anger and arguments, it left permanent marks. Can you imagine? Isn't it great to get into the second best medical school? For this family, it wasn't good enough because the standards were higher. So we see that good and bad is subjective. What is an achievement for some is shameful in some other people. And that can leave great damage in the psyche. I was afraid for a while that this relative of mine would go off the rails. Now, of course, there is good and bad in this world. It's better to do good. The practical consequences of getting into the best medical school is great. And evil should be resisted. But even moral failures does not erase the worth of a human being. More on that point later, but for today, isn't it true that what is good in many people's eyes are bad in other people's eyes and vice versa? Who gets to judge? Was it that bad that my relative got into the second best medical school? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But we do similar things in our own lives. Just consider the fact that we live in New York. We live in the United States. Just that fact alone is a cause for envy by so many millions around the world. There are many people today at this moment, at the border, risking their lives, risking their families, trying to get into this country. Most of us have been given that privilege without having to even work for it. Just think about that. Next time, you feel down about your life. We feel like such failures when we compare ourselves to our more successful friends on Facebook. We feel like losers when we see posts on social media about great vacations, great abs, or great promotions, great houses, great cars. And we think, I'm falling behind. I'm not tov. I'm raw. And we need coverings. But people living in the slums of India would love to have your life. For many in the world, it would be like Christmas every day to live our lives. Just think about that. Because it's that feeling of lack. It's that judging, calling bad what God has created in us, in life. That's what brings on greed, envy, pride, deception, anxiety, fear. All the cardinal sins are brought on by these internal judgments of lack. So... Do not call bad what God has created in you. You are tov. You are beloved. You are accepted. You are welcomed and embraced with open arms by God. When we truly believe this message, that's when heaven will open up to us. Let's believe and live by the gospel and spread it. And that is the purpose of every follower of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our New Year service. Now, please join us uh, on our Zoom discussion group that starts at 11.45.
I just want to encourage everyone watching this to try to join us on our Zoom Sunday services at 11. Uh, it's just so great to be able to worship together, uh, even through Zoom, and be able to talk about what we just talked. So I hope to see you uh, in our Zoom uh, gatherings. May this be a great, blessed year by our living God. May this year be tov in our eyes and in God's uh, love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.